Welcome to Teacher Quit Talk. I'm Miss Redacted. And I'm Mrs. Frazzled. Every week we explore the teacher exodus to find out what, if anything, could get these educators back in the classroom. We've all had our moments where we thought, what the hell am I doing here? From burnout to bureaucracy to soul-sucking stressors and creative dead ends. From recognizing when it was time to go to navigating feelings of guilt and regret afterwards, we're here to cut out the gaslighting and get real about what it means to leave teaching. We've got insights from former teachers from all over the country who have seen it all. So get ready to be disturbed. Join us on Teacher Quit talk to laugh through the pain of the U.S. education system. We'll see you there. Hi, I'm Frances Callier. And I'm Angela V. Shelton. And we're Frangela. You know what you need in your life? Hmm. The Final Word Podcast. Yes, you do. That's right. It is the final word on all things political and pop cultural. Where we make real news real funny. Where we inspire you so you can hashtag resist. Subscribe and get a new episode of the Final Word Podcast each week. It's the news we think you need to hear. That's right. We think you need to hear it. Okay? Yeah, it's what we say so. That's right. And because all we do is give, every Thursday you can listen to our hysterical podcast, Idiot of the Week. We round up the stupid because you know what? Somebody has to. Okay. All we do is give. Дамы и господа, добро пожаловать в Prevail. Это второй сезон нашей борьбы с криминальными сволочами. Ваш ведущий Грег Олиар. I'm Greg Oliar. This is Prevail. Welcome to the program. We've got a great show. Amanda Carpenter is here. Thanks to BetterHelp for supporting Prevail. For 10% off your first month, go to BetterHelp, that's H-E-L-P dot com slash Greg. BetterHelp, start living a better life today. Amanda is a columnist at The Bulwark. She's also a CNN contributor, and she wrote a book called Gaslighting America, Why We Love It When Trump Lies to Us. She was a speechwriter for Jim DeMint, Republican senator of South Carolina, and she was the communications director to Senator Ted Cruz. Now she's a never-Trump Republican. She's involved with the bulwark. She wrote a wonderful piece called The Six Main Strands of the Trump Coup Attempt. And I asked her on the show because I think she did a fantastic job giving a big-picture view of all the little news things that are happening now. This is sort of what happened like early on, like, you know, five years ago in the Trump thing. We'd see a news article about, oh, Paul Manafort said this. And then there'd be an article about, oh, Donald Jr. did that. And it was very difficult to understand how all the all the pieces fit together. So what Amanda did in that article is really uh, give us an expert view on not just the, the, the insurrection day, but all of the stuff that went into uh, planning it and scheming for it before it happened, starting months before. Uh, and involving a lot of different people. So it's a great article. I'm going to link to it in the show notes. I, I encourage you to read it. But basically, we broke down the article. I think that after you listen to it, you have a much better idea of how all the pieces fit together. I know I did, uh, listening to her talk and explain everything. We also talked about the future of the Republican Party, what she thinks about, you know, is Trump going to be Speaker of the House? Is Trump going to be the nominee? And uh, funnily enough, we we talked at the very end about Breyer and, and and would Justice Breyer retire and would Biden put pressure on him to do so? And that was we, we recorded this, um, I don't know, last week. And what do you know? <laughs> within within five or six days of us having the conversation, uh, Justice Breyer is going to retire. So I feel like maybe we spoke it into existence. I don't know. Maybe we have magical powers. Oh, there's one more thing I wanted to say, which is that um, we did make one, I mean, tiny microscopic error, which we were talking about uh, the op-ed that someone wrote in the New York Times about how um, maybe it should be Biden and Liz Cheney on the ticket, you know, some sort of unity ticket. And we thought it was either David Brooks. I thought it was David Brooks. She thought it was Paul Krugman. It's actually Thomas Friedman who wrote the article. I just want to give Thomas Friedman the credit that he deserves for such a fucking stupid idea. Good job, IU Tom Friedman. So this is a great conversation. I'm going to stop uh, prattling on now so we can get right to it. We're going to be right back with Amanda Carpenter. 
You're a slave to your desire. You know you'd do anything for me, anything I command. How long can you stand it, bad boy, not having me in your mouth? Because you know I won't melt in your hand. Tucker Carlson presents The Brown M&M Less Sexy A new kind of candy from Mars Incorporated The world's kinkiest confectioners S&M's If you want something delicious, you'd better get on your knees and beg S&M's Flavor is the sweetest mistress S&M's They're anything but vanilla The S&M's are available at Victoria's Secret, Walmart, Hobby Lobby, Hooters And that creepy adult bookstore across the street from the strip mall Amanda Carpenter, welcome to the Prevail Podcast. Hey, nice to be here. How are you? Um, I'm very cold as we're recording this. It is January 22nd and it is minus two, I think, outside. No, actually, now it says Oof. it's eight. It was minus two this morning when I woke up. So that is Break too cold to take a walk outside. Yeah, yeah <laughs> my kids will be wearing shorts, but that's that's how they roll. You know, these kids, these kids these days. Um, so you wrote this great piece uh, for the Bulwark. It's called... Uh, six main strands of Trump coup of the Trump coup attempt. Trump coup attempt. Those three words are very similar. <laughs> I noticed as I was writing it down. And I want to get into the nitty gritty of that because I think you did a really great job of 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 giving us a big picture of how all of this stuff plays together and how you know January sixth wasn't just January sixth. It was months in the making. There was lots of different facets to it. Some of the facets might not even really intersect um, and stuff like that. But before we get to that, tell us a little bit about you. Now you're you're writing for the Bulwark. Um, how did you get into doing that? Um, t- tell people who you are and what your experience is, because I think it's important. Oh gosh. Um, well, let me try to do the long story short. Um, <laughs> I never cared or knew anything about politics until I busted my shoulder in college and couldn't uh, play softball anymore. And okay. I had a professor who told me you know, you should try a debate team at some point. I used to coach at Ball State. I was at a different school in Indiana. And so I just kind of, after I busted my shoulder, decided, you know what, I'm going to do that. I transferred to Ball State. I uh, tried out for the debate team and then started to learn about policy and politics and very quickly realized, oh, wow, like I think I am a conservative. Um, at the same time, kind of fighting through the student loan system uh, because I lost my college scholarship, my family, they're, <laughs> a whole soap opera over there, needless to say, the situation did not fit on a FAFSA form. And so I started writing about the college tuition. Like there's all this student aid that's available. Oh no, it's actually not. It's all just loans and lies. Um, So I fought through that. And so quickly oriented myself towards writing, doing debate team, which led me to getting in an internship in Washington at the Leadership Institute and falling into conservative political world. Um, wrote for a town hall, human events, Washington Times, ended up getting offered to be Jim DeMint's speechwriter, who was a South Carolina senator at the time. He left to take a job at the Heritage Foundation. Ted Cruz had just been elected, was coming in. They said, hey, would you like to work in the cruise shop? I said, no, freshman senators are boring. They said, give it a try. I said, okay. Um, followed, you know, Cruise Land was in there for a couple of years decided once he took his campaign to Houston, I had two very small children at the time, could not move to Houston for a few months to go work on a campaign, um, and then decided to go back to media. And at that point, CNN picked me up uh, real quick to do 2016 election stuff. Did that at the same time, was looking for a writing home the whole time, which was very difficult as a sort of never Trump Republican. But then in, I guess, 2020, yeah, um, Tim Miller at the Bulwark said, hey, would you want to write for us? And I said, I would like to be a part of your team, actually. And so I've been there ever since. Is that quick enough? That's good. No, I think (laughs) I think it's important because like there's a lot of there's a lot of polarizing stuff in 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 the media Mm -hmm. right now. And just in general, the sentiment is very anti-Republican sentiment because Trump has basically hijacked the entire party and is. Uh, mm-hmm. I think carved it out from within. So outside it says Republican and inside it's just this rot of Trumpist bad stuff. But for our uh, politics to work in this country, there needs to be two viable political parties. It's, it's just baked into the system. And I 
Yeah, I'm a Democrat, but I'm very much in favor of a, of a strong, sane Republican Party. So I I, I welcome that. And um, we'll talk about that at the end because I want to sure. hear your yeah, thoughts yeah. about No, I would about like to see the Republican it, but, Party again, too. So yeah, that would be nice. um, I, I, I think it's going to happen in some form, obviously. Um, it'll just be interesting to see how. But, um, you know, good good on you for, for ha- having the, the courage to stick up to Trump because a lot of other people have not. So um, oh, from where I stand from, I appreciate it. And uh, that's that, that that's my feeling and the feeling of most of the people I would think listening to this. So, okay, let's get into the article. I think the, the six main strands of the Trump coup attempt, I th- it's a long title, but it's a good one because what it, what it suggests is that um, you have to weave all the strands together and you get basically this bio tapestry of sedition that is what <laughs> happened, right? Yeah. So I want to go through kind of strand by strand and, and, uh, and, you know, get your thoughts and, 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 um, just walk us through what you see in the big picture. So the first strand you call conspiracy theories, and this is this predates even the election by you know six seven months. So um, what what do you mean by that? Well, I mean let's just back up just a little bit because it is so hard to track all the various elements that led up mm-hmm. to January six, and I sort of got frustrated because in the news it's like, oh look, Rudy Giuliani did this, so and so from the ministry, Peter Navarro said this, and. The pushback from Trump world and even like the anti-anti-Trumpers is that, well, they were just, they didn't know what they were doing. They're too stupid to coup. And I'm like, being stupid is not an alibi here. I mean, really what was happening here is that they were trying every possible avenue at every point in time. And slowly those efforts overlapped and escalated, right? And so it did start with the conspiracies. And, you know, the hardest part of this piece was trying to pare down what happened in 2020 and what actually happened and things that just weren't talked about because we all know Donald Trump loves conspiracy theories. He did it. That's how he got on the map. Uh, You know, birtherism, like he's always trafficked trafficked in this stuff, which means he has a really perfect method. And I wrote a whole book about kind of how he refines that uh, gaslighting America, why we love him, Trump lies, but fast forward to now, which has started with conspiracies about the mail-in ballots. And that started in the summer of 2020. And it wasn't just Trump. The attorney general at the time, Bill Barr, did an interview with uh, Wolf Blitzer and the New York Times talking about the possibility that there would be foreign interference with mail-in ballots, just kind of floating that out there. And so that was sort of the official stamp of credibility that like, oh yeah, we're going to go along with this nonsense that Trump is saying. And he was saying it at rallies all the time. And so that started that summer because they're not, they're not stupid. They saw what was happening with the pandemic in states, you know, Republican and Democrat were expanding access to the ballot, primarily through mail-in ballots, so that people would have their ballot access insured in the event that things had to shut down because of the pandemic in November. That was the big fear. And so all the states were expanding access to the mail-in ballot. They looked at that. They know mail-in ballots traditionally do favor Democrats sometimes, although they do vastly help Republicans who have to get out into rural areas. But they said, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna start looking sideways at that. And so that continued all the way up until election night. And he gave that speech. Not a lot of people saw it. And I still have to go back and read it to see how like sort of unnerving it's, it was. It, it really is. It's in the piece that you quote it at length that it's really, it is, it's awful. Yeah. And he essentially says like, we won this. We want to stop the ballots because all these essentially mail-in ballots, which takes longer to count, are rigged. They're flipping the election. This, And so they knew, they were determined, they were clear-eyed. They knew how they were going to cast dispersions on the election, which again, like this isn't anything new. Donald Trump called the 2016 election rigged because he didn't think he won by enough votes. Right. Yeah. Like this is just CYA that they always do as a matter of a protocol. It's not just the Republicans that did it, by the way, because Bernie Sanders did it, too. Bernie Sanders spent a lot of time complaining about the the, the, the rig this and it's rigged against Hillary and that it, which has oh, no yeah. basis and the corporate in any media sort of is rigged against him because they yeah, run a pharma yeah. ad here and there. Yeah, it's all it's all <laughs> it's all uh, wackadoodle. Um, but anyway, go on. I interrupted. I'm sorry. No, no. I mean, that was really I mean, that's that's when it started. Summer of 2020, that speech that night when it became real, and that was like the green light for all his surrogates to say, okay, go. And there's this thing that happens with Trump is where he says something crazy, like the election's rigged, mail-in ballots, blah, blah, blah. 
And then all these people swarm in to try to make that thing true. Yes, absolutely. Good point. He says it, and they want to impress him by making that thing true. And so then you get Rudy Giuliani and Sidney Powell and Mike. I mean, that is just the invitation to say, come on in, show me how you're going to do this thing. And it's not only that, by the way, when you talk about the mail-in ballots, he installed Louis DeJoy as the head of the Postal Service. That guy you know, made his name and made his fortune doing logistics like in Brooklyn. Okay. So I don't know who, I don't know what people that guy knows. I mean, he looks like he walked out of central casting from some Sopranos spinoff and he's running the postal service. Everyone knows what's going on that, it, that he's put there to. Yeah. You to, know, and I've, I've looked at that kind of, stuff, but I mean, the, the mail-in ballots, I mean, it essentially worked right? Drop boxes, yeah. it, you know, no, all these, did. you know, yeah. and this it is did. like my other side project, you know, drop boxes, like all this stuff worked. Right. Rather than everyone saying, oh, we got to restore trust in the elections, like defend the process. Ever, all these states, even the red states, Ron DeSantis, uh, Jim Justice, you pulled it off. It was a great election that has been more audited than any election in history. Yep. And it has stood up. And so, you know, my other side note is all the options that were made available to people that election, we should be able to keep them. Yes, because absolutely. it worked and we had the highest turnout ever on both sides, yes. on Republicans and Democrats. And so that's that's my other like pet peeve. <laughs> yeah. OK, so you're for you want people to vote. That's good to know, too. Um, <laughs> the I, I, I wanted to add also that when Trump said that about that, it's rigged and the, they're, they're going to they're flipping the election with the mail in ballots on the Democratic side. You know, we knew that that was going to happen. Like I got I got notes from people within, you know, high up Democratic party strategy type things, which I don't usually do. But uh, in this particular case, they knew that it was going to look like a, a Trump victory on yep. election night and would yeah, the eventually- Yeah, the red mirage. Not. Exactly. Yeah. So um, they were like, please warn everybody that this is going to happen because it's good, you know, and that's, it exactly um, came to pass. I remember walking, my, one of my kids is 14 and he stayed up all night watching the election returns and, you know, just all night and was fascinated by it, which was interesting. And I walked in that the morning after at like, I don't know, 5.30 and I, the TV was still on, but they had gone to bed. And as I walked in, Michigan went blue. Yeah. Oh, and and all of it. my anxiety just went right out of my body. <laughs> I can't even tell you. It was like a, a, a glorious out of body experience. Oh gosh, I did not feel good until they called it, you know, November 7th it was, I was upstairs in my room, fold laundry. And I yelled out at my husband, it's over. <laughs> there was, it was fun screaming in the street. Um, okay, so that's the first strand is conspiracy theories and specifically the ones about the rigged elections and and uh, the Democrats are cheating and all this stuff. The yeah, second I guess one- I would say that's important because it lays the groundwork for all the activists to come in. It's not just Trump saying it, right? There's this whole undercurrent of conservative media and blogs and Reddit threads where they're primed, ready to go when he gives that speech on election night. That's all. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Good point. Okay. And, and, and falling into that is lawsuits, which is the second strand. So lawsuits happen. There's um, something like 60 lawsuits in Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Nevada, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin. And then this the, the AG of Texas, Paxton, who is under federal indictment and seems to nobody seems to ever remark on <laughs> nobody this. Nobody cares. But like fraud, like like real stuff that if he's convicted, he's going to go to prison for like a while. And yet he's somehow allowed to be the attorney general for the it, it, it. It's really baffling. I know we thought, you know, I wrote a piece at the time. I mean, I didn't say it, but it's kind of like, you know, there's there's the off chance he did this so that he can get a pardon from Trump. Oh, sure. Trump yeah. win. I mean, that mm -hmm. was also like, you know, another one of these side stories that I this piece is 3000 words. And I was just like, I cannot go into everything. But yeah, that's a that's that's an amusing thing that happened. There's more than six strands. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you mentioned that there's 127 House members sign on to that to that lawsuit. And I remember a time being like, what are these guys? This is this is terrible. This is like, you know, straight up opposed to the, the the rule of of uh you know the vote the will of the people like the guy lost by seven million votes like i don't know you know it's kind of crazy yeah but. yeah so going back to the conspiracy theories i mean the ken paxton lawsuit didn't come out of anywhere right. so there are all these theories and then rudy giuliani and Sidney powell and jenna ellis jumped in and they filed many dozens of these lawsuits based on these conspiracy theories about dominion you know, people flipping votes in Antrim County. I mean, any kind of rumor that went down based on what Trump was looking for, right? He laid out the agenda. Everyone went looking for it. 
Um, so many of these lawsuits filed by the Trump legal team were based on these conspiracies. It's why they got thrown out because they were based yeah. on nothing. It's like somebody thought they heard something. I mean, these affidavits, if you go through them, they're laughable. But when it became serious and escalated sort of another level is when the attorney general of Texas, Ken Paxton, uh, filed a suit because they were losing in all those state courts. They said, we're right. going to go straight to the Supreme Court. I'm just going to ask that they nullify the election results in the swing states that Biden won. Just straight up. We're just going to ask them to cancel it out based on all these conspiracy theories, right? Yeah. I mean, it was all based on nonsense, which is why even the Trump stacked Supreme Court threw it out and said, you know, kind of get lost, get out of here with this. But the important part is that you had 127, as you mentioned, members of the House, including Speaker McCarthy, say, yeah, we're going to put our names to this. 17 Republican attorneys generals in the states. I mean, these are the chief law enforcement officers in their respective states. They signed onto it and said, yeah, yeah, we're, we're down with that. I mean, that is a dramatic es escalation. That's not just Rudy Giuliani with the hair dye dripping down his face. That is the stamp of elite establishment Republican approval on this bogus lawsuit that just said, we're just going to cancel the votes. We are canceling the votes. So they're, then they're all in line. Trump asked my former boss, Ted Cruz, would you argue the case? He said, sure. I mean, he probably knew full well it wouldn't get there, but he still said, sure. I mean, yeah. it's this credit throughout the Trump presidency. There's always this idea that Republicans can go along with Trump and never pay a price. Like it's okay to say yes, but I'm going to be in trouble if I say no. I do believe this was another example of it, but this is what raised the stakes even higher and gave millions of people the impression that yes, the, the vote was fraudulent in these four states. It should be canceled. And you know, darn it, the Supreme Court should hear this case. I was going to ask you about that later, but I'll ask now. I mean, what is that why you think so many people went along with it? Because obviously, if you were able to walk into their brains, they know that this is bullshit. I mean, most of, maybe Jim Jordan doesn't know, but most of them know. Ted Cruz is smart enough to know this is bullshit. Why do they all go along with it when you know, th there's opportunity there to seize the party away from the crazy and have it. And, and, and the first person that successfully accomplishes that cough, Liz Cheney cough, is going to be yeah. the, the, the face of the party going forward. I mean, it, it, even if you're blindly ambitious, you have to at least think about it in those terms. So mm -hmm. is there something well, number I'm one, it, it comes from a place of weakness is that they know Trump is more powerful than they are. Right. Trump has a stronger coalition than they could ever imagine building. I mean, to a person, even if they don't like Trump, they'll say, wow, but he can really energize the rural voter in blah, 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 Pennsylvania, you know, Eastern Panhandle, whatever state you want to pick. Yeah. You know, they can't do that. They can't draw a crowd like he does. They can't animate the fundraising like he does. And so they are automatically in a position of saying, okay, well, let me see how I can work around him and say yes to enough things so that I get the Trump enthusiastic voter, but maybe don't go too far. But they've never found the line where it's not too far. Yeah, yeah. Well, it can't be. I mean, the guy's a, a crook and a, you know, well, whatever. We, we, won't, we won't get into <laughs> he that. He just tried to steal an election. What are you talking yeah. about? Among, among our, you know, he's stealing our money for four years. I mean, he's just, he's just... <laughs> Flat out stealing every time he goes to the golf course, we're just giving him money. It's taxpayer yeah. money. We're just funneling it over. No, nobody's ever framed it that way before, annoyingly. But uh, okay, moving on. The third strand: fake federal investigations, and this is where the the people at the DOJ get get into play. Barr, Clark, Rosen, Donahue. So, uh, walk us through what happened there. Refresh everybody's memory. Yeah, so this a lot of the reporting for this came out because of the Senate Judiciary investigation that came out. I'm trying to remember last summer. I can't quite remember. Um, but the gist of it is that, you know, I, again, I do think some of this started with Bill Barr in that immediately after the election, he said, okay, well, well I'll authorize the federal government to look at any irregularities. Right. And he's not saying I'm going to give Donald Trump the special counsel to seize the voting machines and, you know, ideas that were bandied about later. But he just said, OK, we'll we'll look into it, Mr. President. But that wink yeah. sort of gives it another lens of credibility again that it did not deserve. And so that happened. Bill Barr, as we all know, did resign uh, after giving that uh, interview to the Associated Press reporter in which he said there is no widespread 
fraud in the election. Mm-hmm. And then um, weirdly, he announces re- resignation on December 14th. Hmm, why is that date important? It's the date all the states met to certify the election. So yeah. hmm, coincidence, coincidence. Um, so while Bill Barr was preparing to leave, this other lawyer, Jeffrey Clark, started, he was kind of like, you know, he was kind of high up, but he wasn't the a- acting attorney general. Yeah. Um, he started meeting with Trump and they started drafting these letters to say, hey, um, states like Georgia, you should investigate the election. You should hold your own investigations. And then that would be the pretense for the legislatures maybe sending an alternate sale after things that came down the pike later. Yeah. But Bill Barr essentially kind of gave them to him a little bit, but then said no. And so there was a pivot to say, okay, how can we get other people to do these you know, BS investigations that will allow us to do things later? And Jeffrey Clark, this guy said, oh, me, pick me, pick me, I'll do it. And then the acting attorney general, another guy named Jeffrey, it's very hard to keep track. Right. Uh, Jeffrey Rosen, you know, Jeffrey Clark, this like kind of underling said, I want you to sign this. And Rosen said, no, get out of here. We're, we're not going to do that. Oh, well, I spoke to the president and, um, you know, if you don't sign this, he's going to make me an acting attorney general. And so the only reason this plan didn't go down is because Rosen and, um, this other guy, Donahue, they organized with other high-ranking members in DOJ to say, well, we'll all resign. You know, if this goes through, we're out of here. And then it kind of fell apart. But it wasn't for lack of trying. Yeah. And that's really scary because the this Jeffrey Clark guy in charge, that that's like one remove from they're just flat out going after political opponents. You know, that that that's functionally the equivalent. But the thing that's so interesting here, it's not political opponents. They're seeking to leverage other Republicans in the states, right? Yeah. Like yeah. this is like the whole weapons. They wanted Republican legislatures to do this for Trump. And, you know, we're hearing phone calls now. The end goal is to decertify the election for Biden. But this was all like a pressure campaign on th- their guys. Yeah. Right? Yeah. What I mean is like, if Clark, let's say Trump had, this has been successful and Clark was the attorney general now, Mm-hmm. that's a situation where Trump is going to be like, I don't like Jeff Bezos, go find some way to arrest him. You 100%. Know, you know, it, it, it's that level of, and that's about as awful as it gets. That's straight up fascism. That's just, you know, the, the whole thing is destroyed at that point, the, the entire institution. Well, you're telling me there's a reason people are saying lock her up, lock them up at rallies for the Arizona <laughs> governor, uh, governor candidates? Like, is, is there an appetite for this? Are you telling I, me that? I think there is. It's, it's funny because the appetite is correct, but it's just misplaced. They, they want to <laughs> okay. lock up the wrong people. It's, it's, it's just these one little twist in the, in, in the thing to get them right on track. Yeah, the right? people that are actually being indicted? No. Yeah, yeah, probably. You know, the guy, the guy that's shouting lock her up is, is the guy in Texas who's under federal indictment, who's the attorney general. I don't know. Maybe he didn't say lock him up. Um, so and this Richard Donahue, I thought this was another interesting part, something that I had forgotten, took notes during some of these meetings and those notes made their way into the press. And some of them are horrifying where Trump basically said, I don't need you to investigate. I just need you to say it was dirty and I'll I'll, I'll do the re-. like, you know, it's it's like it, it's Batman villain level. No, yeah, it's, it, what is it? Hold on. Leave the rest to me and the Republican congressman. Yeah. Which Republican mm-hmm. congressman? I wonder, Jim Jordan. I don't know. You know, <laughs> yeah. Kevin McCarthy has, I mean, you know, if he ever had a spine, the fact that he visited Mar-a-Lago after Trump was out to kiss the ring <laughs> left no doubt, you know, whose who's side he's on, that little weasel. Um, so, okay, so that's those are three. Uh, the fourth one is just stop the steal, whips up the base. Stop the steal, of course, was, was coined by Roger Stone in 2016. I think he I think he even yeah. registered the domain name like 2016, thinking they would lose then. So it's you know, this was a plan that they had kicking around for a while. But, um, you know, remind us what happened with that a little bit. Yeah. And so, I mean, again, like the rigged election. I mean, this is stuff that they already had sort of baked into the cake, ready to go. Right. Mm-hmm. Like stop the steal 2.0. This time it's really happening. Right. And so the conspiracy theories happen, the lawsuit and the lawyers come in. And then there was this big on the ground advocacy campaign really centered around the lawsuits and taking this show on the road. Um, Women for uh, Trump, you know, a lot of the old Tea Party activists, which I used to, you know, sort of know back in the day, they they went on the road to hold these rallies all around the country. I think it was 20 cities. During COVID, during May. Yeah, during COVID. 
Um, Really just to get anger and fear up in the States and say, we are fighting this thing. It is real. We're going to the Supreme court. And then onto that, you sort of see the, the militia guys latch on the proud boys, three percenters, oath keepers start making appearances. And, you know, this is just part of the atmospherics of the situation where the noise is going up and up and up. And then at the same time, the, the Trump team is thrilled, right? And they are even sending out memos saying, this is the messaging campaign we want for the protests. We want protests at weak members' house, meaning Republicans. We want protests at the homes of Republican governors and secretaries of states that won't go along with this. And that happened, yeah. right? Governor yeah. Kemp, they were camped outside. You, I don't know if you remember uh, Gabe Sterling, that other elections officials when they were getting death threats and he just went to the mics like this has to stop. Yeah. And I just, sometimes I think, you know, maybe I'm wrong, but you know, some of the reason why some of us bulwark people get so animated about this, because we understand who these people are, right? We understand the pressure that comes on Republicans who don't go along. I think a lot of, you know, Democrats, they think it's bad, but the kind of just misery vice that exists for Republicans that are just maybe trying to exist and do the right thing, like a Raffensperger, um, a Sterling. It is tremendously difficult, not just in a workplace situation, but like they're really fearing for their lives sometimes. I mean, there's reporting from Tim Alberta at the Atlantic where he's talking about January 6th and why some of the members still voted to not certify the election for Trump is because I think the quote was, if they'll do this at the U.S. Capitol, what will the... what will they do at our homes? Yeah. You know, it's like there's a genuine sense of fear and I'm not excusing it. If you can't handle it, you probably shouldn't be in public life, but that is a real element. And that happened during this time period with a stop to steal activism. I think that um, you're right that, yeah, you have to have a little bit of a a thicker skin to get into politics, certainly, but there is a level of, of, um, you know, horribleness that you maybe by subjecting everybody that goes into politics to we're we're basically shutting out a lot of people who would otherwise be good leaders i think we're limiting you know the the pool of available people to um just people who are so narcissistic they don't give a shit or whatever but um one thing you didn't mention in in the article because again it's there's so many things um and this is only ancillary was earlier that year um the the campaign to kidnap the governor of Michigan, yes, yes, right, and Trump in Trump was endorsing that. He had those tweets, you know, liberate Michigan, yep, liberate totally. Virginia, and I think that it's all part and parcel of the same kind of thing, which is we need to, you know, liberate is a is a military word, yep. you know, t- telling the Proud Boys in the debate to stand, but whatever he said, stand by and yeah, be ready. stand back and stand by. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if he misspoke or if he really knew what no, he was I talking don't think about. He did. I, I, yeah, but. Um, there's some kind of dog whistle there that they they seem to know exactly what that meant. And, you know, this stuff, this this idea of uh, just going after people where they live and, you know, that that the Michigan governor thing is really horrifying. Like they were going to go up and. No, and I remember it's a her A.G. Nestle, you know, it's part of when I'm thinking about when you're talking about people mm-hmm. in public life. I mean, she's got young kids yeah. and there's men with guns, you know, arms because Michigan militia types outside yeah. her door. I mean, who, even if you want to be in public life, you know, I think there's a lot of people that make the assessment, you know, maybe I'll do this later. I have young kids right now. You know, it's one thing to get sort of criticized on the internet and called names and have phone calls to your office. It is a different game when people show up outside your door and it's different, you know, when Michigan legislators have to wear bulletproof vests to go on the floor of the Capitol because people are open carrying upstairs. I mean, yeah. that's another thing that happened in Michigan, which is I, sort of a staging grounds for these types. I'm from there, so I, I speak because I know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you, can, you can bring a gun, but not a sign. <laughs> it's, it's, just, it's really crazy. But, um, but I think also just the images of all of that, uh, even though nothing happened violently from Michigan, there yeah. still were the images that normalized it and gave people ideas, you know? Oh, I guess that's what we're supposed to do, but, but more. Um, mm-hmm. I definitely think it's related, even if the people in Michigan weren't involved with J6 at all. It's all part of the big, larger picture and and the, um, not the ambiance, what the word, the mood, the national mood mm-hmm. of all of these people. It's yeah, a and way these that- things do build on each other. And one thing that becomes normalized, that, okay, well, they did this there. So we're going to do this down here in Georgia. 
yeah. you know, yeah. pe- things on the internet, they travel quite quickly and they activate and encourage and inspire other people. There's no doubt. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, okay. There's two more of these. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with Amanda Carpenter. You know, we had a lot of snow this week here in upstate New York and I did not shovel the driveway properly this time. I thought my son was going to do it. He didn't do it. And what happened was uh, it froze a lot. And now I cannot get a foot of snow out of the middle of my driveway. So this is the sort of thing you have to avoid, right? You get, you get your car tuned up because you don't want to have big issues down the road. You get annual checkups. So they nip things in the bud. And it's like that with mental health, too. Going to therapy is like that. It's, it's routine maintenance for your mental and emotional wellness to prevent bigger issues down the road, to prevent the mental health equivalent of frozen ice in the driveway of your mind. You know, these are trying times right now, guys. This is, you know, we've been traumatized for the last five years, and mental health is really, really, really important. So it's 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 just essential, I think, for everybody to spend a little bit of time and a little bit of money to focus on their mental health. Going to therapy doesn't mean something's wrong with you means you're investing in yourself to keep your mind healthy. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. Why invest in everything else and not in your mind? This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. And Prevail listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com slash Greg. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash G-R-E-G. BetterHelp. Okay, we're back with Amanda Carpenter. Um, Okay, so number five on your list of six main strands of the Trump coup attempt is fake electors and objectors. So... This gets into the, uh, the, the, the the kind of legalistic, you know, the, the Green Bay sweep P- Peter Navarro, quote unquote, intellectual side of things. By the way, that guy, I read his book in Trump time. <laughs> Have you looked into his writings? No. That guy's a trip. <laughs> he Apparently he takes a cold Russian 50 degree bath every morning. That's what I learned by reading his book. I mean, you look at him, he's got these, you know, he's always wearing these tight black t-shirts. He's, he's like ripped, you know, he looks, he looks great, you know, but uh, I don't know. Regimen. It, yeah. It, it must be working for him. I mean, maybe that's, maybe that's um his. I, is it, is it, I don't know. <laughs> but I, I just, his, the, the whole thing doesn't make any sense. I mean, um, I, I think now he's there trying to, the reason he's doing this media blitz now is to argue that Trump didn't want violence when Trump mm-hmm. absolutely wanted violence in my opinion. Oh yeah, well this is a whole, yeah. This is, mm-hmm. at this point in the game, this is the good coup. This is where the people who <laughs> right. are like the conservative egghead, a lot of whom actually I used to work with, you know, the constitutional scholars, mm. they sort of look at the constitution and say, well, you know, the state legislatures, they can convene, they can, they can appoint their own electors. They do have the power and they actually do in the constitution. I mean, not to do it based on nothing. That kind of doesn't seem like something the founders imagined. To subvert Um, the vote of the people? No way. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, but again, this is the sort of entrepreneurial spirit of the MAGA crowd. They they don't stop trying. Yep. And persistence pays off for quite a lot. And so what was happening in mid-December going or early December? You know, obviously they know the, the lawsuits aren't working. And so here come the conservative eggheads at the conservative action project to say the constitution says we can have an alternate slate of electors. Right. And so they, they, I think they did, the Trump campaign did try to organize through the state legislatures. And I think they got told no, but then there was a lot of Trump activists who said, okay, well, we'll get together and we'll say that we're, we're the alternate slate of electors and we'll hold meetings and we'll sign papers. And yeah, and they did it in seven states. I mean, it was completely based on nothing. I do think they are going to have uh, fraud problems considering mm-hmm. they sent fraudulent documents to the government saying that they were the alternate slate of electors and they clearly weren't. They were certified by no one. They had no authority by the state legislatures, but that is what um, this conservative action project advocated for. They sent out a memo. They are proud of what they're saying. It was signed by my former boss, Jim DeMint, 
uh, Brent Bozal, like like tons of all these conservative presidents of you know these think yeah. tanks that I am very familiar with, but don't matter in the scheme of things, but are influential in the conservative movement crowd. Yeah, and and not I, I would say not wackadoodle you know MAGA people either, like more establishment types. This John Eastman guy seems. Uh, I, I don't know yeah. what his deal is, but I, I had forgotten that he was also the one who wrote the piece in Newsweek about how Kamala Harris isn't eligible to be, be vice president because she somehow wasn't born here, which seemed crazy. I mean, even on his face. Well, so he's a Claremont type, which which Claremont was, you know, pretty kind of well-respected, viewed as a sort of Western fountain for conservative influence and thought, but they, they went completely MAGA. And this John Eastman is a really good embodiment of that because he wrote the Eastman memos predicated on the idea laid out about the alternate state of lectors. So there was that happening with the conservative action project where they're like, okay, we can see legislatures, we can nominate alternate slate of lectors in the swing states, Biden won. And then Eastman came in later to make the case specifically about Mike Pence and specifically about January 6th, essentially mm -hmm. saying, we are going to have challenges uh, that will take place on January 6th. And Mike Pence should look at these other electors and say, there's no way I can determine you know, what's true, what's not. Therefore, I will not certify these states. That was the Eastman memo, but it was predicated on what was happening with these phony electors, if that makes sense. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. The Mike, the, uh, the Mike Pence piece is still bizarre to me because I feel like he has no free will and can't do anything and has just gone along with everything well, Trump has told him to do, except for that. Like, I I, I remember when he took over- <laughs> Meat love song. <laughs> Would do everything for Trump, <laughs> but I won't do that. Yeah, exactly. But the R. election, R. totally. Um, but he, like, when he was named in charge of the COVID response team in like March of 2020 or whatever that, whatever month that was, I, I tweeted out like, Mike Pence has every incentive to, yeah, to succeed here because A, he will save people's lives and B, people will look at him and be like, hey, Mike Pence did this great thing. And he just But didn't. you can't when you have to say that COVID is a hoax. He, right, he like, couldn't do it. Like that's the problem. You know, yeah, no, he couldn't figure out how to do it. So it's still baffling to me that he actually got to the point where he didn't go along with this. Well, this uh, is where I think Peter Navarro is actually a little bit right. Okay. So- Peter Navarro, his whole thing is that, you know, they had the good coup planned out where they just needed nothing but peace and calm and let the plan, you know, let, let, let the playbook go. Let mm -hmm. us run this thing. And his idea along with Steve Bannon is that they would drag this out. They would yeah. have so many objections. They had a hundred, you know, congressmen lined up to drag this out and really put pressure on Pence specifically. And that never really happened. I mean, Pence was willing, you know, he put out the statement that morning saying that his role was just ceremonial or whatever. You know, I don't, I don't think he would have denied the electors, but I think he would have said things that would have lent credibility to the cause. But what Peter Navarro argues and why he's the good guy is that the mob ruined his plan, mm. right? The mob interfered. And after that, there was no hope. And so I, I, I sort of do think, and this is going to sound really weird, Mike Pence was saved by the mob that wanted to kill him because it made the decision really easy. Yeah, that's that's a good. Right? Uh, Everyone yeah. was mad. I don't know. We don't know what he would have done had January 6th been drawn out into this, you know, 72 hour event. Right. Or whatever that they envisioned. He would have said something to lend credibility to it and to take it further. I don't know what, but. I don't think he would be firm throughout that whole process. That's all. That's just my speculation. Yeah, no, I, th I think you're right. I think you phrased it really well. I guess, you know, no matter how loyal you are, when you're the president who you've been, you know, basically the slave of for four years, sends an unruly mob there to kill you and your family, maybe for a split second, you can do the right thing. He still says it was the honor of his life. He has to. I, don't, Trump. I don't think he has a choice. I really, I don't think that guy, he's so deep in whatever criminality happened that he just has to go know. along with it. At this. I mean, That's why I'm surprised. Just, like, go to Indiana. He'd be the president of whatever, you know, stupid heritage knockoff think tank that he wants to go live a good life, dude. I, you know, I, you don't, yeah. you're, you're not, you're never going to be president. He thinks never he is. Gonna be I think president. he is. Maybe he can run on a bipartisan Pence uh, cinema ticket. It'll be really great. Oh God. Is that, a, well, who's the next David Brooks or <laughs> which call? <laughs> 
Who wrote that? <laughs> Krugman? I can't even remember. No, no, it was Brooke. I think it was Brooks. Do you read, do you follow the um, the New York Times pitch bot on Twitter? Uh, I think it follows me because it always comes in my feed. No, oh my God, just, it's, so it's, good. It's, it's so it's good. It's so good. But he, they, they, the New York Times pitch bot for people listening, unfamiliar, is a fake <laughs> thing, like pretending to be like crappy New York Times takes. And they did one that was that. It was like, why, why doesn't, why doesn't Biden run with Liz Cheney? And then three months later, someone in the Times actually yeah. wrote the article. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so painful. Like, so come bad. On, that isn't a... <laughs> so I bad. Um, okay, the sixth and final of your strands: pressure on state and local officials. And the, the two examples you cite are: I forgot about the people in 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 Michigan. Those those guys that were famous for like twenty four hours. They got to go to the White House, oh hang out. Gosh. And one of those guys is under a big investigation now in Michigan. But that's yeah, another side bad. note. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sad. <laughs> I hope it was fun while it lasted, buddy. And then, of course, the the, the much more famous and probably important case in Georgia, where um, Raffensperger uh, was pressured by Trump on the phone. And we heard, we heard these calls. Thank God he recorded it. Isn't that so awesome? Oh my God! I, yeah. Um, <laughs> it. it it, and good on again, good on him for not caving. You know, he's a Republican official. Like you're saying, the pressure on these on these guys is enormous. And he did not cave. He did the right thing. And, um, you know, good, good for him. He's going to go down in, in history as a, a solid, honorable American. So, you know. yeah, he won't be elected again, most likely. But um, <laughs> yeah, we're going to get Jody Heiss. I think that's the guy that's running. But what is also interesting, I mean, again, not for lack of trying. Trump was trying desperately to get in touch with the Arizona folks as well. Uh, you know, there's a the whole thing that happened with the Arizona audit, which is another add on to this whole story about how the coup continues. But there was a story in the New York Times reporter, not the editorials who are pitching Biden Cheney, um, Clint Hickman, who is on the board of supervisors and Trump tried to get a hold of him a few times. And he saw the first time he's like, no, I'm not talking to Trump. Like, I, I know what's going to happen. He's going to try to say things and you know, take me into this. And then the story about Brad Raffensperger pop- popped up and Trump tried to do it again. And he sent it straight to voicemail. It was like, boop, <laughs> you know, like the president is here to talk with you. Boop, voicemail, <laughs> which is the smartest thing you home. could do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't want any, uh, anything to do and with That's why he's that like, point. he doesn't want to report it and go like, he, you know, just don't mess with me, go away. Yeah. Yeah, that was a that was a smart move. So ultimately, this thing failed. Obviously, this 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 January sixth thing it failed uh, in a variety of spectacular ways. It continues to fail. But as you mentioned uh, in the piece, it, it you know it you say the word sequel, and I think you're right. I think until the people that did this thing are prosecuted, and I know on the bulwark there's there's been articles about that too. Like, when are we going to arrest these guys? Like. I don't understand how Steve Bannon is, has a podcast where he's just spew. It, it makes no sense to me. I, I I just don't understand. So, but when you say sequel, how what what are you afraid will what are you afraid will happen? What what do you foresee in your? Uh, well, a I mean, top of mind, I'm afraid of more violence. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, period. There's there's been a lot. You know, usually when people talk about you know kidnappings and violence for a couple of years, ultimately there's something. Mean, January sixth was pretty darn violent, and yeah, I still. It was have other Republicans, you know, Byron York and the Washington Examiner, this was LARP cosplay. Like what movie were you watching? Yeah. I mean, people got hurt, people died. I understand some of the police officers died after, but it doesn't take away from the fact that it was really violent. And I know what all of them would be saying if this was Black Lives Matter breaking in to the US Capitol. Oh my God. Right? Yeah, like yeah. It's, just, it's, so, it's, it's just annoying. But the thing that sticks with me is that there was a whole narrative unspooled that united a wide, just all elements of the Republican party, right? From the grassroots activists to the militia, to the Republican elite, to the elected Republicans. And everyone's still going along with it. Yeah. For the most part. I mean, I do think the effort to oppose it is growing in the fact that you know, the bulwark was sort of alone last November, and now we have Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger. <laughs> you know, we do have people in uh, Georgia who said it was wrong. We do have people in Arizona. Like, it is sort of, there's more recognition now that we saw how far this can go, but there's not enough. And that's the thing. Everyone thinks, hey, this is, ever since Trump got in the scene, the idea has been like, oh, it's too, it's too stupid to work. 
And again and again and again, since birtherism to January 6th, it has worked. Right. And there is no one that can challenge him for the Republican nomination again. Ron DeSantis is not going to challenge him. Get it out of your heads. The only way that he is going to be the Republican nominee is if Donald Trump gives him the nomination on a silver platter. Right? Yeah. And I think Trump or DeSantis probably could beat Biden in 2024. Now Biden has a record. He's he's not the quickest on his feet. We've had problems. Okay. And so I just don't understand this tendency, not only from, you know, the Republican anti-antis, but a lot of people in democratic politics and the media to keep dismissing something when they've been so wrong so many times before. It's like the, like you, you have the the analogy in the first paragraph of your piece about the Jurassic Park monster, you know. Yeah. He's going to keep turning the the, the dinosaur is going to turn the knob, doorknob and sooner or later one of them is going to open. This yeah. guy Persistence counts for a lot. Yeah. Trump is like a character from a horror movie. He's he's Michael Myers, he's Jason Voorhees and he's not going to go away until he is defeated. And whether that's through indictments or or he get or he gets covid again or whatever, I don't know. I mean, he's not young and he's not healthy. But I, but I, I, we can't hope for the cheeseburger to do the job yeah, exactly. that millions of other people have been a, unable to do. Exactly. <laughs> well, well put. Well put. Uh, the well done cheeseburger. Um, <laughs> it it uh, it's terrifying, and he's going to no matter what he's going to say he's going to run. He's going to continue to fundraise sure. because I think he needs yep. the money to function. Well, not and, only that, like having control of the Republican Party is a pretty profitable thing to have. Yeah, they're yeah, paying his just legal in bills. general. The RNC is paying his legal bills. I mean, that's insane. It's it's nuts. I, I I don't I don't know. Do you think there's going to be a point? I, I, my my this is maybe this is wishful thinking, but I've always felt this way. I just take it a lot longer than I thought. I feel like as soon as there's a as soon as they know that he's done for, like whether it's an indictment or whatever it is, I think everybody's going to turn on him like in I don't know thirty seconds. I I don't know either. But I feel no, like no, 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 I, I don't. He could be in jail and still run for president. And these jokers would still say, oh, it's a rigged witch hunt hoax, blah, blah, blah. Mueller. He's a political prisoner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah actually, <laughs> aren't, aren't they doing that now? What's with the political prisoners of January 6th? Yeah. Well, that's what Bannon wants. That's Bannon wants totally. to go to jail so he can, you know, do his podcast from there or whatever. Uh, no, I agree. I, the guy is a, is a menace and he's going to continue to be a menace until he's not allowed to, you know, he's pre- prevented from running either by, you know, the law that says he can't or whatever. That's what, or the law of God. Um, they, uh, that, that's another thing that, why didn't they just impeach? They could have the second impeachment go around. If they just impeached him, that would be it. Okay. And they could reclaim the party. I mean, how much damage could he possibly have caused Two, two months after the election, they had two full years to recover from it. it. Some of these things just never make sense to me. I just don't get it. I, I don't understand. Um, because I just he's think- better at the politics than they are. And they yeah. always want, I mean, you got to understand Mitch McConnell is not a good guy in this narrative. Oh, no. I mean, they are, in, in any but, narrative. But, 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 <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay. Um, I guess I'm sort of, you know, there's always this like DC press of like, oh, he's so smart, the grim raper and mastermind of political strategy. No, he's not. No, he's not. He's drifting along with Trump. Like they are using, they look at Trump and say, great, we will use him to generate all the enthusiasm that we never could and maybe shoehorn some like policy we want on top of it and keep going. They want to use Trump. They don't want to stop him. They want to use him for their own political benefit because they can't think of anything better. Mitch McConnell cannot build a coalition. Are you kidding me? Is he going to build any kind of coalition? Has he done anything to, in in terms of like smart campaigning or strategy or even tactician stuff on a political nationwide level? No, no. He just moves little tiny pieces in the Senate with parliamentary procedure. Yeah. Which that party is very good at. And he's good at obstruction. It's it's not hard to be good at obstruction. I mean, yeah. honestly saying no, like the idea, you know, nominating, blocking Merrick Garland, all he had to do was nothing. Yeah. All he true. had to do was nothing to win. That's not hard. That was, uh, Obama messed that up. He, he really, even in the moment. He's well, like, are they going to mess up Breyer? What are you guys going to do about that? Oh, you mean if, if something happens to Breyer and now he has to be he needs to go so Biden can nominate someone. I think because that, if he doesn't, uh, President Trump will, 
Yeah, I think um, what Biden needs to say, having learned, and I said this even at the time when Obama didn't do it, he needs to make a statement and say, I'm giving you 90 days. And if you don't have the thing in 90 days, we're going to assume it's a yes. And I'm going to order him to the Supreme Court and then figure it out because it doesn't say in the Constitution. We don't know. But oh, here we go. Some North constitutional entrepreneurs. I don't think that they're allowed to just hold it off. There's, it doesn't say it says they're supposed to vote on it and, 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 and confirm. It doesn't say they're not allowed to never do it. They have oh, a responsibility. They have a responsibility in the Constitution to confirm or to say yes or no, but they have to vote on it. They can vote. In, they can vote no. For oh, sure. yeah. No, sorry. But, I was thinking about yeah. you. You saying Biden should tell Breyer to go. No, 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 he can't do that. No, <laughs> like, no, no, no. Appointment. Okay. No, you definitely can't do that. Although, you, you know, should. maybe, you know, Briar retire. It's rhymes for God's sake. It's a, right. Yeah. yeah. Would you like to be ambassador to pick your favorite country? <laughs> Anything just, you know, bye-bye. Now I think these guys, once they get into that, the Supreme court like land, it's just, it's, great. it's like La La Land. You see it with Merrick Garland. He was on the court for so long. I don't think he knows how to function in, in the real world. I think he just, you know, I think he's a very nice guy that just doesn't understand what's going on outside the door. You know, um, what do you think of the the Thomas dissent on the records? Uh, well, I think that his wife told him to dissent. Is what <laughs> I think he should just be referred to as Ginny Thomas's husband. I think so, too. I, just I to mean... kind of drive that home a little bit. <laughs> I mean, I don't think there's any question who 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 runs that household. You know, uh, spoiler alert: it is not Clarence. It's not Clarence Thomas. Um, <laughs> so, okay, now I want to talk a little bit about the future of the Republican Party because this is how uh-huh. I this is how I see it, and I and I I am a I am an optimistic, hopeful person about some of this stuff. I really do have faith in in the American people, if we're not lied to it by, to, you know, on our media all the time, if people <laughs> actually know what's happening, which that's a big caveat, that we, we do want to do the right thing and, and, and have the right kind of situation. And I think that right now, the Republican Party is either going to continue to be the fascist party of Trump and whoever follows him, whether it's DeSantis or Josh Hawley or someone worse, um, or it's going to go the Liz Cheney route. And at some point, people are going to have to decide within the party, do I want to be with the fascists or do I want to be with the, the actual Republican, you know, old school Lincoln kind of people? Um, so I, I said to my I remember saying to my son a little while ago, I'm like, Liz Cheney's running for president in 20. She, if the Trump thing falls away, there's nobody left. She's it. She's the only person that had the, the courage to stand up. She's a woman. She's got name recognition. She's got all this stuff. Um, she could be, if not that, at least the leader, the presumptive leader of this party, this revamped party. Am I crazy or what do you think is going to happen? It's a little bit crazy. I, I think most of the Republicans have already made their decision. I mean, you have McCarthy and McConnell saying already that they endorse Donald Trump as the 2024 nominee. Like, I don't even think there's going to be a Republican primary. Why would there be? You have yeah, all these have state parties running the elections. They've already said they want Trump. Do you really think Rana, formerly Romney McDaniel, is going to put on debates so that other Republicans can challenge Trump on a national stage? No. I understand that's a tradition, but I can't see it. No, he um, won't allow it. Yeah, I would like Cheney to run for president, but it have it probably have to be as like a conservative independent thing just for the purposes of ch- challenging Trump outwardly in the primaries, yeah. because I don't think there's going to be primaries, but just so you can at least have that conversation. I could envision that. I would support it. I'd probably go work for it. It'd be great. Yeah. Um, it would probably go nowhere. But you do have to have that argument. And I would fully support that. But in terms of the future for the Republican Party, I I, I honestly think we're dealing with the Trump question for another decade. Mm. Sorry. I do like it's I do think it can work through the system, but it's going to be a long process. And I don't want people to have any illusion about that. I mean, the best sort of case scenario is sort of a Glenn Youngkin that got elected in Virginia, but he didn't have to go through a tough primary. They had this weird thing where they nominated people in a very quick process. It wasn't like a Senate race where you have a long primary campaign. It's not like a presidential campaign where it goes on for a year. He kind of just got in there, got the nomination and then played footsie with enough MAGA masking vaccine CRT stuff. But that's not going to be the case in like the Ohio Senate race. That's yeah. not going to be the case for Ron DeSantis, who's just governing by meme right now for whatever <laughs> issue of the day that pops up that he wants to sign some stupid legislation about. So even the smart people 
are still cowing to it quite a bit. They're, they're not standing up to it because again, they don't want to alienate the Trump coalition. They don't have a, Nikki Haley can't do it. Nobody like they've already, they've already surrendered to it. And so this is not even a 2024 question. I, I think it's almost a generational one. Wow. Okay. So Sorry. what, I mean, what, what, what about you? What about your, what, are you still a, a Republican or are, are yeah, you? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, I'm still who I am, you know, I'm not, yeah. you know, I still want limited government, all these things, but just Trump, like what, it's not even about policy anymore. No, no. I mean, the not, litmus test yeah. for being a Republican is just essentially, do you, do you say the election is rigged and do you like being mean to people? Really? Yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. any kind of conservative policy that we used to talk about is essentially out the door. And so, you know, at the same time, I look at Democrats and I see all kinds of craziness with spending and, you know, I'm, I'm double vaccinated, boosted. But, you know, the idea, which I really think is hurting Biden right now, will in the midterms, is that Democrats aren't aggressively pursuing and advocating for a path to get back to normal. Yeah. And, and you know, the normal Republicans are. And that's a message that's very easy to go along with. And a typical suburban mom like me, for example, can just say like, yeah, yeah, Trump stuff, but I need my kids back in school. I need to be able to go get my second job and I want to go on my family vacation again. Right. You know, those are normal things that I think the Democratic Party is totally toned up on. Yeah. No, I, I, I don't think the Democratic Party is perfect by any stretch of the imagination. Like I said at the beginning, I, I, it is really, really important to have two functional parties that are both a pro, pro uh, democracy, you know, meaning mm -hmm. people want to yeah. go vote and stuff like that. Uh, because that, what that does is it makes the political parties want to make life better for everybody, which is what, you know, what should be the case. And I think your point about, um, you know, this not being about policy is absolutely, it's been true since the minute Trump, Trump appeared on the scene. This is a Manichaean struggle. It's always been that way. It's Trump is a, is a, a, a you know, a would-be dictator, strongman type, and he's trying to destroy not just the democracy, but like the Pax Americana, NATO, all that stuff. I know people don't realize how fucking fragile Europe is, you know, mm -hmm. historically, the fact that there has not been a major war in Europe in the la in my lifetime is yeah. that's, you got to go back to Antonius Pius <laughs> in Rome for that shit. Wow. Like it, it's really a long time. So, uh, and, and the reason is because of these alliances and the strong, and Trump is just trying to kick the, you know, kick that away. It's really, really dangerous. So I don't know. I, I hope that something happens with him. And I really do want, uh, whether it's a Republican party or a conservative party or whatever you want to call it, a second viable, I want two viable parties to argue about policy because that's the thing that we should be doing. And uh, when you argue about policy, it's not always, um, you always agree with one side and not the other. You know, the, mm -hmm. the, the, um, the Heritage Foundation, right, came up with the idea about the, the healthcare system that Romney used in Massachusetts that became Obamacare, but nobody knows that. It's, it, it, you know, they don't want to credit for it, but it is something that everybody wants. So anyway, that's what I'm hoping for. I don't know that it's going to happen. You seem to think, you, it, nobody yeah. can see you, but you look very, very no, pessimistic yeah, right yeah, now. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just, yeah, I need, at the same time, I would say the Democratic Party needs to be more unified to have that contrast. Mm -hmm. Because I mean, I, the Republican Party is not going to be coming around and fixing itself anytime soon. Yeah. And you know, if you if you care about democracy, you know, I'm sort of a single issue voter on that for the moment. Um, you have to go with people who will defend and protect elections. But at the same time, you know, spending Biden spending a year on an infrastructure bill, I think, was a pretty big misstep not giving everything possible to crushing COVID and being on the side of getting America open again um, is bad, but they have time. They have time to, you know, sort of recalibrate. I hope that they do. Um, but if we're still dealing with COVID in the fall of 2022, they're going to get wrecked. Yeah. I hope that we don't. And I, and just, to, just to push back on, on the Biden thing. I mean, He's not the one that that launched this. Don't wear a mask. Don't get vaccinated, or you're awful. You know, the guy can. You can only lead the horses to water. No, I and, under, you know. I, I understand that, but also nothing is fair when you're president. He campaigned for the job. Yeah, um, yeah. And at some point, there has to be some triage and stop debating 
bridges and roads and getting 100% focus are probably going to lose the house at this point, triage and figure out a way to salvage the Senate. Do you think Sherry Jacobus has this theory that they're going to make Trump Speaker of the House if they win the House? Do you think that that's going to? I mean, people floated around. Yes, they could. I mean, every every like political person says, oh, remember, you don't have to be a sitting member of the House to mm-hmm. be Speaker of the House. Um, why would he have to show up for work? He like he is already Speaker by proxy through Kevin McCarthy. McCarthy yeah. is nothing but like a stand-in poser for Trump, and so yeah, why would why would Trump leave Mar-a-Lago? for that maybe he would just wouldn't he would just be speaker in absentia i am saying he already is it doesn't yeah, matter yeah <laughs> you're right you're right um i'm trying to do I ha- did I ask you everything i wanted to ask you i think oh can i ask you one quick thing about ted cruz what's he like in person um you know it's like i wasn't i was in the senate office i started working there so i live in west virginia i was always out of the office at 5 15. Like yeah. I in like they had a lot of late, so I didn't really get to know him like a lot of the other staffers did. But he's funny, you know. Like he was personable. I mean, not a lot of small talk, but that was fine because you know you always had work to do. Like we were yeah. really busy in that office. We had a lot of staff that worked really hard, and he had high expectations. You know, sort of Supreme Court arguing guy. Um, but yeah, like the thing I just remember is like he really had a sense of humor. Yeah. About things, and he was kind of low key expected a lot but was low-key about it and so yeah i mean you know i have great memories working for him and demand on the hill and so there's a lot of us that see what he's doing now and just find it unrecognizable yeah that's what i was getting at if 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 you're like look at it like what the you know now there's some tax i have with other staff and like they send you know it's just i don't know i there's there's a feeling that he doesn't want to be a senator anymore he likes being kind of a podcaster with his little show called The Verdict, which I don't watch, but that, that's sort of the feeling. <laughs> oh my God. It's almost like people that like news radio are like, what the heck has Joe Rogan become? Like, I don't understand. It's this thing. Um, so, okay, so where can we find you? You're on Twitter, obviously. Is it, it's just your name, right? Oh, yeah, it's on um, at Amanda Carpenter. Um, if you can't spell it, don't follow me. <laughs> <laughs> I have, and at the bulwark, you know, I'm, I'm always popping up different places. Okay, um, and what, you mentioned you. How many books do you have? Oh gosh, I have um, Gaslight America: Why We Love It and Trump Lives, and then I wrote this other one when I was twenty for Ragnar Publishing about Hillary Clinton that nobody needs to find. Okay, it's just kind of <laughs> it's hey, it's a it's twenty years old writing for Ragnar. What can I say? We we all do we all do things in our youth that we that we uh, come to you know maybe not regret, but, but there's uh, nothing let, bad in it. It's just, yeah, it's a different, it was a different moment in time. Yeah. It's different. It's a different era. Amanda Carpenter. Thank you so much for taking the time. Really appreciate you coming on the show. All right. Thanks. The prevail theme song is by Matthew Fossa. Sophia Tereshenko provided the Russian introduction. Voice talent is provided by Tally Briggs, Signet Della, Stephanie St. John, Brett Petticord, Ryan Byrne at History Falls Apart, and me. Thanks to Allison Gill, Molly Hawkey, Kanai Williams, and everyone else at MSW Media. Please subscribe to the Prevail website with updates every Tuesday, Friday, and Sunday. Your $5 monthly subscription funds the site and the podcast. Visit gregoliar.com to learn more. Thanks for listening. Drive safely. Don't forget to tip your server. Until next time, we shall prevail. W.